Eight years ago on Valentine's Day, we became an official church with the state of Colorado on Valentine's Day. So tell someone you're the Lord's Valentine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we decided since this is Fellowship Sunday, that it would be the best day to celebrate it this day. And we have the food and then we have cakes and to celebrate and everything. So please stay afterwards. Uh, I, I see uh, spaghetti and meatballs. Pasta for the pasta. Praise the Lord. It's not pizza, but it's pasta. Praise God. All right. And so uh, just kind of give you a little brief, if you're new to here, how we got started. Uh, actually, we started as a Bible study, actually a reluctant Bible study. So uh, me and Joanne went to Karis Bible College and uh, sit on the back row, and there was a couple from South Africa. And he would ask me questions in between class. He says, I'm getting a lot from you, too. So would you hold us a Bible study? And I said, no. Because <laughs> under Bob Yandy, and I've been there for 16 years in singles ministry, I just wanted to rest. And so I said, no. And they said, why? I said, well, I just don't want to. And they said, please. And they kept after me. I said, fine. I'll have a Bible study for your family, but don't invite anybody. <laughs> so we had that for, uh, for a while. They graduated. And then another couple said, can we be the couple to take their place? And, and can we invite people? I'm like, fine, invite people. Great heart, right? So, <clears throat> and so we outgrew that house and then went to a clubhouse, outgrew the clubhouse, went to a hotel, outgrew the hotel, went to where we were on Garden of the Gods over here, outgrew that, we're in here. And as you can tell, we're really growing and, and we're tight here. So our heart, our mind, and our ears are open to what the Lord's saying about our next building. God has another building. Now, the Lord hasn't put on my heart to build a building. He'd have to come into my living room and tell me audibly to, to do one of those. I don't. I believe there's an existing building that God has for us. We'll probably have to do some renovation and stuff for it. So just be believing for that. Matter of fact, on your offering envelope, there's what's called Widen the River, WTR. And so if you want to give to our new building, give to the renovations. And so more will be coming up moving forward on that. So I wanted to really talk to you about the vision for this year. What has God put on our heart for this year? And so as I was praying about that, the Lord put on a theme for this year. And so I need a drum roll. Yep. The theme for River Rock Church this year is growth. Growth. And he's given us a key verse that he keeps bringing back over and over again for our church is Isaiah 54.2. Can you please pop up the Isaiah 54, verse 2? And so guess who River Rock Church is? Look around. It's you. So this means you're going to grow in every area. Every area. So Isaiah, so this is your verse. I want you to, to take this home, put it up on your mirror, put this on where you're going to see it, in the refrigerator. Come on. If you want to grow, go to the refrigerator. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 54, verse 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Say, don't spare. Amen. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And so you're going to bust out this year. And so again, this is spiritually, it's going to be in every area. Emotionally, it's going to be uh, just health, prosperity. Every area you're going to grow. And the church is going to grow because you grow. And so how are we going to grow, though? Well, we're going to grow in the soil of God's love. 
We're going to focus on God's love, especially this year. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Tell someone grow up. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. How many things? All All things. We're not just going to grow in one area. We're going to grow in all things. Grow up in all things into him, which is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part, say every part. That's you. That's everybody. Raise your hand if you volunteer in this church somewhere as a volunteer minister. Look at the hands. Praise God, because this church is filled with nothing but ministers. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You're all called into the ministry. And so you're all, and so we still have room for you ministers to get involved here. And it says, every part does its share, causing growth, say growth, of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 3.17 says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Raise your hand if you want to be full of God. Then you're going to be full of the love of God. You can't be full of God and not full of love because God is love. So we're going to be focusing on God's love for us, receiving God's love and giving God's love this year. And we're going to grow. And so uh, with growth comes some several things you need to think about. When you grow... You need to eat. You're like, well, I've been growing. I've been working on this. For the last six months, I've been working on this. I'm ready to grow. But you know what? Who has teenagers at home? They eat a lot. Drink a lot of milk and stuff like that. But they're growing, right? So to to, uh, help us with this growth, then I'm encouraging this is also the year of the Bible. We want, we want us to read through the Bible this year. Just find a Bible, a one-year Bible, whatever, and start reading the Word. Feed on the Word. Say, say something you need to feed to grow. Amen. But with growth, there's growing pains, unfortunately. And so what are some growing pains? The early church had growing pains. Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. Acts 6, 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, that's a good thing to happen. We're multiplying. There arose a complaint. Uh-oh. Well, you got to watch out to it because when there's growth, there's oftentimes room for complaint. They're sitting in my seat, Pastor. That's my seat. They're new and they haven't been here. I've been in the way for years, Pastor. Well, get out of the way. Make room for somebody else. And so we're going to be growing. And, and I've never raised a finger. I, haven't, I don't pray that the church will go numerically. The Lord adds daily as he wants to be added. I'm to feed water and then God causes the increase. I've not tried one bit to grow our church. The Lord's added every one of you guys here, but God's wanting to bring more. And you're, and you're, you're just a good, you know, you need a good ember base to start a good fire. Well, you're the ember base. God's going to bring people, not just Karis Bible College, there's going to be people all over this city that's going to be coming to this church, and you're the ministers that are going to minister to them and help them grow. And so you're the ember base for the fire of God. Amen. All right, you ready for the word? I thought you just gave me some. Okay, well, I'll get more. All right, so go to 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians going verse by verse. 
And so let's go down to verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 1. And we're reading down, we're going to teach through verse 6 today. And let's read. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's already blessed. And we're going to receive it by faith today and be blessed by it, nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what the Father's saying. Father, I thank you for breaking this apart and letting each person hear from you and walk away with exactly what they need. And only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go up to verse 1 and start unpacking this. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul said we've received a ministry, but what kind of ministry did he receive? Well, we have to see uh, the word, the first word of this verse is what? Therefore. When you see the word therefore, you're to ask, what is it there for? It's because he said something before. So go back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're going to find out what he had said and what kind of ministry they had. So pop that up. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, says, but we, but we all, say all. all. So this is, a, this is God's plan for all Christians. It says, but we all with unveiled face. Unveiled face. And so we've taught through that. So how does someone become unveiled? Because a religious person has a veil over their face. So how do you become unveiled? you turn to the Lord. And so if you have a veil over your face, you're looking down, all you can see is yourself. And so you can make the Bible all about you and about you being your own savior, your own, uh, your own righteousness, but no, your, our righteousness is filthy rags. And so get your eyes off yourself, stop being a navel gazer. It's dark, depressing, don't go there. Look up, look at the Lord, and the Lord removes the veil. You can't remove your veil, the Lord removes the veil. And what happens when you when you uh, look up at the Lord. And so behold as in a mirror, that's a looking glass, the glory of the Lord, not the glory of you, but the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the type of ministry Paul received, a supernatural ministry of transformation. And so Paul brings us out and he says, therefore having this ministry, we've received mercy we did not lose heart. And so he says, we received mercy. You know, Paul was a persecuting Pharisee. He ate Christians for breakfast. And, but God had mercy on him. Look at 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse 16. 1 Timothy 1, 16 says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that, I, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern for those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so he says, I'm a pattern. If anybody can get saved, if I got saved, anybody can get saved. 
if I can, if God can transform me into the apostle of grace and love and transform me to such degree, and I was the worst sinner that ever was, tell someone there's hope for you. <laughs> and so guess what? There's going to be hope for you when you receive mercy. Mercy is when you don't have it all together. I know you look sweet right now, but we don't all perfectly have it all together. And so we need mercy. And so tell, tell your neighbor, you need mercy. Now tell the other person next to you, you really need mercy. <laughs> but pastor, I've used up all the mercy of God. Oh, really? Because the Bible says his mercy endures Because he knew you would need it. And his mercies are new. Ask someone, have you re-upped? <laughs> we need mercy. Sometimes we faint, we're falling apart, but if we'll just say, oh God, have mercy. You know, I should have been reading more, praying more, should have been in faith more, but I haven't been. Mercy, Lord, and he loves to show you mercy. And Paul talks about we receive mercy, and since we receive mercy, we don't lose heart. You're not going to give up. You get into pride, that's when you're going to go for a fall. You're going to get in your own strength, you're going to do a face plant. And it says, we do not lose heart. You know, as a minister, you're going to have people come to you from all kinds of situations. You're going to like, oh, Lord, what are you going to do with this person? But you know what? You have a supernatural ministry given to you. All you're going to do is show them Jesus. Get their eyes off themselves. Get their eyes on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit starts transforming them. And if you as a minister have any time when you say, you know what? Lord, what are you going to do with all these people, with these messes? And you just ask yourself, well, what did God do with you? Because you were a huge mess. Then if you, go, if you glance away from Jesus just to look at you a little bit longer, you're going to realize there's still some mess. Don't get back on Jesus because that's how you're going to get transformed. But you know what? We don't lose heart because of God's mercy. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says we renounce some things. What did we renounce? What did he renounce? Hidden things. Say hidden things of shame. Renounce the hidden things of shame. So look at that word renounce. It's a very interesting Greek word. This Greek word literally means to speak off or away from you. To speak off in a way. To renounce, to refuse. And so this is a forceful word. You can't casually deal with the hidden things of shame. You need to speak it off of you. Tell someone, speak it off of you. Speak it off. Speak it off. Speak it off. Speak it away. Speak it off of you. And so not just because thoughts will come to you of shame. And I, I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to close. I don't know all you guys. But there's times where thoughts will come to me about things I've said, things I've done, and it'll just bring, why did I do that? And it would just like pepper you and pepper you and pepper you and pepper you, and you try to fight that with your thoughts. No, don't, don't, don't fight it with your thoughts. You fight it with your tongue. Speak it off. No. And you're going to send it off. But where do you send it? Assign it to the cross where Jesus bore it. Because Jesus bore all your sins, all your shame. Jesus took it. Speak it off. But where are you going to send it? You're going to send it to the cross where it belongs. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 2. Looking unto myself. Sorry, clueless translation. 
looking unto Jesus. If you look at yourself, you're going to be filled with shame, condemnation. You're going to be brought to, you're going to be brought to uh, utter despair. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What shame? Was it his own shame for his own sin? No, he bore our shame. He hung naked on a cross, bearing our shame. But he despised it. That means he, he, didn't, he, thought, he disesteemed it so he could do this for you. How did he endure the cross looking at you? Look unto Jesus who's looking at you. Jesus endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus took your shame so you could have his glory. A divine exchange. But so many people, they're looking at themselves and they're still, they're still hiding the things they've done. They're holding on to the things of shame that they've said, they've done, the things that have been hap actually happened to them. They didn't do it, but, but Satan puts a shame on them. And so you have that shame, but it's, it's hidden, it's in the dark. What's, what's the power of that shame and that guilt? And what holds you there is secrecy. It's in the dark. Time to bring it out into the light. Speak it off. Speak it away. Assign it to the cross. And so... A lot of people feel like, well, you know, I think God's ashamed of me. Jesus is ashamed of me. I want to prove to you that God the Father and Jesus are not ashamed of you. Let's use Scripture to do it. Go to, go to Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 11. Hebrews 2, look at verse 11. says, for both he, that's Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified. Raise your hand if you're, if you're a Christian and you've been saved. Well, you're right here. You've located yourself in the verse. You are those who are being sanctified. Tell someone you're not all there yet. There's some, still some dirty parts. Well, what's the Lord think about all that, that dirty parts? Well, for both he who sanctifies Jesus and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all of one source. For which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call you brethren. Tell someone, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Well, the Father might be, though. Because I can relate to Jesus, I, you know, I can relate to Jesus, he was the man, but I'm, I don't know, because my father wasn't too pleased with me and growing up and always felt shame for my father, but what about my heavenly father? Look at Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Raise your hand if you desire a heavenly country. Okay, this is you, you've, you've located yourself in the verse. Therefore God the Father is not ashamed to be called your God. Tell someone God's not afraid, not ashamed of you. Tell another person the Father's not ashamed of you. So if the Father's not ashamed of you and Jesus is not ashamed of you, why are you ashamed of you? So the Father's not ashamed, Jesus is not ashamed, but you're ashamed of you. Who do you think you are? You have your eyes on you. Looking unto Jesus.
the hidden things. Amplified says, we have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, underhandedness, methods of arts that men hide through shame. There's hidden things that we bring to light. And so I want you to look at this word shame. It's the Greek word, if you're taking notes, the Greek word askune. Normally I don't give you the Greek word, but I do today because it's important to know where it came from. If you're writing this down, it's A-I-S-C-H-U-N-E, askune. Well, I'm not, uh, when I share this with you, I don't want you walking away with, well, pastor believes in Greek mythology. No, I don't. Thank you. But I'm just telling you where the word came from. It comes from Greek mythology. Askune was actually a Greek goddess. Her name was Askune. And Askune was extremely beautiful. The most beautiful goddess there was. And matter of fact, Aphrodite, you may have heard of her, was jealous of her, of her beauty. And so Aphrodite one day threw a curse upon her, and this was the curse, that whenever she beheld her reflection in a mirror, she would see a monster. But her beauty never was touched. And so the first time she looked at a looking glass and she looked by us and saw a, a, a ghastly monster, she screamed and she ran and hid in shame and never returned, although her beauty never was diminished. That's what Satan wants to do with each one of you, to put up a mirror of your past and remind you and remind you of what you said, what you've done, what was done to you, and say how ugly you are. But Jesus says, if you look through the mirror of my word, And you look at Jesus as he is, so are you in this world. That you're beautiful. Tell someone you're beautiful. Even the guys. We're bride of Christ. Suck it up. (laughs) Paul says we renounced. We've spoken off and away from us. The hidden things of shame. We refuse to walk in craftiness. Nor handling the word deceitfully. Look at the word craftiness. It means this word signifies the employment of any and all means necessary to realize an end for yourself. It means to do anything to get what you want. There's, there are some ministers, unfortunately, the sad heart to tell you, there's ministries in, in, and ministers in the body of Christ that will do anything and everything in order to meet their own needs and their own ends. Usually this is connected to finances, to raising money. And they'll use the Word of God, and there's, the Bible's filled with scriptures about money. And so they'll use the scriptures, but they all do it so that they can get your money. Now, it's not wrong to teach on prosperity or teach on finances, but it's always, why are you doing it? It's for your good. It's for you, not me. And there's a lot of ministries out there that it's really for them. They'll, they'll preach, they'll say, you got a five-minute window. A miracle window to sow your financial seed. But you better do it quick. The window's about to close. (laughs) And then you're left without in the cold. (laughs) Those blessings are blessings of grace that are available 24-7 to be taken by faith. It's shameful what goes on. And young Christians are the ones usually susceptible to the craftiness of false teachers. They handle the word deceitfully for selfish ambition, motives of their own gain. But Paul said, we minister by manifestation of the truth. You know, the truth is never shy about being seen in the fullness of daylight. 
In fact, truth is most effective when it's displayed in full view. It does its best work. And so the manifestation of the truth, commending to every man's conscience. So whatever I teach and whatever I say, there should be nothing in you saying, well, is that okay to believe that? I don't know. Is that okay to do that? You should teach in a way that everyone's conscious is, that's right, that's true. I have no problem doing that. And so there's sometimes a teacher or preacher will preach in a way that you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's right. There's a question, there's a problem there. It says that, a minute, that, that we minister in God's sight. You know, every time, not only ministers but us, we're living in God's sight. God sees everything. Well, I'm afraid to go to God and kind of share what's going on in my life. He already knows. We had a wonderful little dog. He was so cute. But he would get in trouble. He would go in and sneak the cat treat box treats out of the cat box. And he wasn't supposed to do that. And one time we looked at him, caught him in the act. He looked up with cat litter on his face and he was like, where do I run? But he had nowhere to run and he just hung his face and said, God help me, I can't help myself. But sometimes he would run and hide under a table, but he could see his tail under there. I see you. God sees you. Stop hiding. Bring your life to God. Into the light. Verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Our gospel, what's the gospel? The good news. The good news is that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. God demanded from you, but you never could give it to him. But then Jesus took all your sins and transgressions upon him. And there's a divine exchange when you accept him as Lord and Savior. His, your, your sin on him and his righteousness earned as a man under the law given to you as a gift. That God responds now to you based on that righteousness, not on your performance. That's a great news that there's heaven instead of hell. That's the good news, but it's veiled. It's veiled. There's many people out there today that have a veil over their face and they're self-focused, self-absorbed. They don't see Jesus. They're trying to ignore and the devil's helping them with distractions. He's doing everything to distract people's mind off of God. And when God's brought up, it's usually as a joke. And so it's veiled. It's veiled to those who are what? Perishing. There are people perishing. Now, unfortunately, there's a teaching going around the body of Christ called universalism. That teaches Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's reconciled, everybody's going to heaven. <laughs> Not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody is on their way to heaven. Some are perishing. This is the Greek present tense. They are on the path to perishing, to perishment, if that's a word. And they're perishing, and that's sad that that's happening. But even to the time of the tribulation period, this is going to be happening, 2 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, say love of the truth, that they might be saved. Not everybody's being saved. That's why we have evangelism. We just had evangelism training this Saturday. 23 people showed up for evangelism training. Revival has hit the church. We go out every single month. We go out on the streets where the sinners are. They're not going to come see us. We come see them. 
and we share the gospel with them. And so that's why it's so important because guess what? The first verse you ever learned taught us this. John 3.16, for God that he gave so that whoever should not perish. That's the reason we go out. That's why we have the message. That's why you have the assignment. That's why you're still here. You didn't get a private rapture when you got saved because you're left on assignment. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And you're all the light. Look at verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Whose minds, say minds. The mind is the doorway to the heart. If you can affect someone's mind, you can affect their heart. He's affecting their minds, and he's blinded their mind. Actually, the Greek word for blinded is to envelop with smoke. Envelop with smoke. In Colorado, it's pretty easy to realize that. Envelop with smoke. Some got it, some did not. Some didn't think it was funny. That's fine. <laughs> Whose minds the God of this age is blinded. Look at the God of this age. Why would, why would our God blind them? That's not our God. It's little g. The God of this age, that's speaking of Satan. Why is he called the God of this age? Well, in the very beginning, God gave authority to man on the earth. But then Satan came in and got Adam to sin, and Adam handed over the authority given to him over the earth, gave it to Satan. And Satan yielded that authority over the earth all the way up to Jesus. And in the, in the wilderness, he tempted Jesus and says, if you, I know you're here to, to gain back what, whatever, that's what you're going for, to get all the kingdoms back. Uh, let me help you with a shortcut. We can all save ourselves a bunch of time and effort all you got to do is do a little curtsy. Bow down just a little bit, just me and you, no one's here. We'll, and, and, and we'll get this thing transacted. You can have that. You can have all those kingdoms. Liar, 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 pants on fire. See, the devil always wants you to take a shortcut to God's promises. If you're here and the, and the, and the devil's trying to give you a shortcut to what God has for you, don't take a shortcut, especially with someone you're supposed to marry. Because, ladies, you're going to end up with an Ishmael. Guys, you're going to end up with an Ishmael lady. You don't want an Ishmael lady. Tell someone, trust God. Whose mind's the God of the day. So, so Jesus came in. He thought, oh, I got Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crucify him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to end him. But all of a sudden he realized, oh, I killed an innocent man. Because when Jesus' blood was shed, all of our sins were dealt with. And there was left a man with no sin. And the grave in hell couldn't keep him. Up out of that grave he came. And he took back the keys of the kingdom of authority. Took it back as a man. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth is given back to me. And he says, but I ain't staying. I'm going to head on up. But tag, you're it. You go. And preach the gospel and walk in the authority I've given you. And so we have the authority back. So guess what? You think, oh, this world, it's all messed up. Look at all this stuff that's happened out there. Yeah, and it's our fault. 
the church's fault. We have the authority. We have the message. We have the light. And so we, it's not their fault. They're, they're blind. They're uns- it's, it's the church's fault. We should rise up and take our stand and spread. Can we turn the air up? Or cold? Cold, yeah, colder. In our next building, we're not going to be bipolar. <laughs> it's cold. It's hot. It's cold. <laughs> Praise God. Whose mind, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. And so who has the light? We are. We're the light bearers. You know, this is still the age of darkness because Jesus is the light. He's the sun. And one day in his second advent, he's going to come and the sun shall arise and sun shall be over all the kingdom. But in this dispensation of the church age, there's only one light. And it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, we're seen as, the, we're likened to the moon. Jesus is the sun, but the church is the moon. And as you look up at the moon, the moon shines because it reflects the sun. The church reflects the glory of Jesus. But you know that not always is the moon full. Sometimes you have a three-quarter moon. Sometimes you have a half moon. Sometimes you have a little fingernail. Half, a quarter moon. And sometimes it's eclipsed. When is the moon eclipsed? When the earth gets in the way. Tell someone, get your earth out of the way. When you get, your, you get yourself focused and you get into focus, that's when you stop reflecting. And there's an eclipse. The church has been in an eclipse, but oh, the church is rising and, and the, the church is shining. And when you see a bright light, I mean, it's pretty bright. You can actually find your way around pretty well. But the God of this age has blinded the minds of those around so they who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine in on them. Look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. He, get, he, he says, you know, get out of the way. We don't have to preach ourselves. You know, what's the difference between preaching yourself and preaching Christ? One is a transformative ministry and the other puts people in bondage. If you preach man, preach ourselves, that means what you got to do in order to be righteous and holy and you got you to do all these things in order to do what Jesus already done. Or you preach Jesus and his finished work and what he's accomplished and, and by grace you receive by faith. That's when your life starts transforming more by accident, never on purpose. But when you try and try and, and you get into do-do, <laughs> it gets messy. We're to get into believe, believe. Receive and believe. We're believers. That's your job description. Believe. Get your eyes on Jesus. Behold and believe. Behold and believe. Transformation. We don't preach ourselves. If people walk away from you hearing you and they hear more about you and are more impressed with you than Jesus, then something's off. I've heard some ministers get up and for the entire time, it's all about them. What they've done, what they've earned, what they got. And and it's like, well, I'm pretty impressed with you, but where's Jesus? It's okay to use an an illustration here or there from your life, but it all points to Jesus and glorifies Jesus. 
Make Jesus the center. Don't put yourself at the center and wrap scriptures around you. But Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. What's a minister? A minister is a servant. Well, Rick, what's your, what's your title? Chief servant. I started out in the ministry at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John ministry. I cleaned the 1 John. I cleaned the 2 John. I cleaned the 3 John. I got a revelation. What I meant to serve. I started out as a janitor in the church. Not this one, but a previous one. But then I got promoted, and then I, then I got promoted to be an elder. And then, but, you know, at each level is just a greater capacity to serve. You don't leave what you were to start with, and you start out as servant. Ourselves, we, we see ourselves as servants. Many see themselves exalted over the people. No, they're sheep, and you smell a lot like a sheep, too. But notice we're servants for Jesus' sake. That means in Jesus' stead. Guess what? Jesus came to serve. We might have a good foot washing service here. I'll start with Joanne, see how it goes. Be fruitful, then multiply. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God likens the new birth to original creation in this verse. For it was the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Where in the Bible does it say that God commanded light to shine out of the darkness? Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. And there was light. Well, just like that, we were all, before we knew Jesus, we were covered in darkness and chaos and void. And God spoke. The gospel and the light of the gospel hit in. and We looked away from ourselves and we saw Jesus and believed. And there was a formation, a new formation, a regeneration, regened. Babies got new genes. It's the God who commanded like, all right. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. You know what? Creation is a lot like what happens in our formation. You know, the first three days, he formed. And the second three days, he filled what he formed. That's what we're with the new birth. We're, we're formed in the new birth, and then he fills us with the Spirit. But he, but he wants to shine. And who is he going to shine through in this dark dispensation of the, where Satan, the God of this age, is ruling? Through us. Get yourself out of the way. Keep your eyes on Jesus. God wants to shine through us, and so we're the only light some will ever see. Raise your hand if you have unsaved loved ones, relatives, coworkers, neighbors, people you know, most hands are raised. Well, how are they going to be reached? Well, 
the, the practically, what are we going to do with this practice, with this, with this message? The God of this age is having reign and rule over the minds of the unbelievers. So what must we do? We need to take our authority. Jesus gave it back to us. Satan doesn't have any authority. He's got smoke and mirrors. And most of the church doesn't know they have authority. But if you have the authority, you can take authority over that enemy and I bind you, Satan, from your, your work where you're blinding the minds of my loved ones and my relatives and co-workers. I bind you, take authority over you in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just, God will do that. No, he's waiting on you to do that. He's giving you the authority on earth. You need to use that authority. Bind the ministry of the Holy, of the, of the, of satanic ministry over people's minds. But then they got to see something. They got to see the light. They need to hear a message. They got to hear the good news. And so sometimes maybe that's not you. Have you ever tried to minister to your, your especially relatives? And who are you? Aren't you the carpenter's son? Didn't I change your diaper? They don't want, but guess what? You can pray for laborers to come across their path, divinely selected by God that they'll listen to, that will say it in a way that they will listen to it, will shine it in a way to catch their attention and get their eyes on their attention, and then the light can come in. Laborers. And then you are supposed to be a laborer for someone else's prayers. But if you're in eclipse, Stand to your feet. We're going to take authority over the enemy that's working in the lives of our loved ones, our, co- our, our, our co-workers, our family members. And we're going to verbally do it. Repeat after me. Satan, Satan. we take authority over you. We command your ministry to stop over the minds and the hearts of those who don't believe my relatives, my co-workers, my neighbors, we bind you in Jesus' name. Father, send laborers, people they will listen to, people that are shining, not people in eclipse, people they will listen to. They'll say it in a way they'll hear it. Shine the light in their darkness that they may see and make a choice to receive or not. Father, we thank you for doing it right now. And Lord, I'm a candidate. I'm a full moon. I'm ready to shine. I'm a laborer. Let me shine, Jesus, into the darkness and be an answer to prayer of someone else. In Jesus' name, name. amen. 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 Let's worship God together. Talked about, Rick talked about shame in the message, and I just feel like the Lord is saying, um, wants to deal with that in our hearts. I think he... You know, when we sin, it's something that we do, something that we've done. But shame goes further than that, and it says, this is who you are. You didn't just lie. You are a liar. You didn't just take something. You are a thief. You are a stealer. And he goes after our identity, our shame. Shame is about, this is what I believe about myself. This is what I say is true. 
And as we were singing that, casting down, renouncing, laying those things down, laying down the lies, laying down the doubt. Because it's not God who's saying, as a believer, you did that and you're shameful. You're now a liar. He, he's never going to tell us that. He's always going to tell us who we are in him. Because what he laid down of himself, he's never going to go back and put that back on us. Because then it comes back on him, right? So I just feel like he is saying, we've all done things, right? We've all missed it and fallen short of the glory of God. But he's saying those are things that have been done that he has bled and died for so that you could be forgiven today and stand forgiven. Whether it was something you did five minutes ago or 50 years ago, there's forgiveness there. But there's also release from that. That is not who you are. Shame is meant to come and steal your identity. And in Romans 5, verse 4, it says, Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And it goes on and says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. It was his perfect timing, and it's ours. So if you're dealing with shame, if you feel that condemnation, if you feel like, I can't really grasp hold of hope because of who I am, the shame that has a, a death grip on me. That's a lie. And we have to renounce it. We have to choose to lay it down this morning. I think we need to sing that again. But we, it's us. It's our choice. We have the authority to allow it to rule and reign or to let it go. So I just encourage you this morning, shame is a result of lying spirits that we've listened to and we've believed and we've believed and we've believed and now we think that about ourselves. It's as simple as saying, I accept what Christ did for me. I'm going to lay down these lies. I'm going to lay down the doubt. I'm going to accept that hope does not put me to shame. God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. number of years ago, I was at a very bad place um, in my life, and God showed me this vision of really what I understand now is Jesus, this blinding light on a white horse, and he was charging through the murkiness and the darkness, and as he charged through, pasture land came, and flowers and life. Immediately afterwards, I was brought to the champion's tent, favored and blessed, and we are the bride of Christ. That's who we are. And as we walk around this world, as we influence the people around us, as we are light, we're coming from a position of the battle is already won. Jesus already pushed back the darkness. Jesus has already brought life, and that's who we are. That's who we are ourselves. That's who we are as a body. We're the bride of Christ in the champion's tent. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, folks, you laid it all down this morning. And what are you going to pick up? 
you're going to pick up the victory that's in Jesus. And you're going to share that with everyone you know. And you're going to believe and believe and believe that he's with you every step of the way. And when, he, when this week, when things get rough, you're going to say, no, I have the victory in Jesus. Did you come this morning to be filled? No, you came to fill. It is your job to come and encourage. I don't know about you, but when I leave this place, all of a sudden, that week seems so simple. And that <clears throat> challenge seems so small. And that's because I receive from you, and I pray that I can also give to you back. But go today with victory and challenge yourself to speak the word with love and compassion. That person who's said something just hateful to you, that you can just love them back and not say something hateful back. Go in victory. That's what we're here for. We have victory in Jesus. That's what we pick up in Jesus' name. It, <clears throat> it says the righteous are as bold as a lion, and the wicked flee when no one's pursuing them. You are the lion of Christ, and you go as the, lion, the bold lions that you are in Jesus' name.